Hey, Jack, I wonder what we're going to watch this week for the movie. Yeah, me too. What's that sound? I hope it's something that I can give as a good Christmas gift. Yeah, I hope it's a good movie too. Hey, Jack, do you hear that? You satirists have been very naughty this year. Oh, and as fuck. punishment for your sins, you must now watch The Polar Express. No, not that movie. No, I thought that movie was just a night terror I had. Tom Hanks was tried at the Hague for war crimes for that film. Ho, ho, ho. Santa is a vengeful god. Ho, ho, ho. Ah! fantasy fans and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mulkel here with my holly jolly co-hosts it's chelsea hollowell here a christmas imp and you don't know if they're gonna do something nice or naughty Hmm, very nice <laughs> or very naughty hard to say <laughs> i can't get a read on them <laughs> and I'm Jack Olander, a kid who saw a stranger ask me to get on their train and didn't do it. Better not to. Good better call. it's just better not to. Your mother taught you well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's gonna come as no surprise that this week we have a Christmas miracle. Guys, we watched the Polar Express. The greatest achievement in computer graphic entertainment, right? Right? Oh, it was so unholy. Ho, ho, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk a lot about this movie, but let's get a few facts out of the way. The Polar Express was released in the year of our Lord, 2004. Amazing. Dire <laughs> directed by Robert Zemeckis, known for uh, Back to the Future, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, that's why he worked with Tom Hanks. I think also Castaway, now that you mentioned that. Um, it's based on a book by Chris Van Alsberg, and it was written by Zemeckis and William Broyles Jr., and it stars Tom Hanks, Leslie... Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks. Oh, and also Tom Hanks. Thanks yeah. for mentioning. Right. I forgot and, to mention. And that guy from Forrest Gump. Right. Oh, right, right. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Him, too. Also, Leslie Zemeckis, Eddie Deason, Nona Gay, Peter Scalavi, and for some fucking reason, Steven Tyler? But we'll get into that in a little bit. Who the fuck was Steven Tyler? The elf singer at the end. Oh my god. That's right. I think he's also one of the um, like generals or sergeants or something. Elves? Oh, we're going to get into that. <laughs> I know that elf singer had to be a night terror because I, <laughs> I must have blocked that out completely. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, it was terrifying. 
But hey, before we talk too much about this, I know Chelsea's got a summary in the chamber and ready to fire into your ears. That's right. Here's a summary for Polar Express. (laughs) The Polar Express. Oh, yeah, we got to be super on the nose on that one. People might confuse it with the other movie called Polar Express. (laughs) You mean Polar with Mads Mikkelsen? Oh, damn, that was a good one. God, I wish we could have watched that movie. But alas. Now that that (laughs) is Christmas spirit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to frame this movie in the conceit of how it appeared to me as we were watching it, and and you guys can just kind of come along for the ride. If you're, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. If your minds shatter, listeners, it's not our fault. We take no responsibility for any damage that this movie may do to your psyche (laughs) or to your relationships. So here we go. This movie is a drug-fueled, fevered dream that Tom Hanks <laughs> somehow had and manifested into our reality in the form of a fil- animated film. Okay, I'll buy it. Not Robert Zemeckis's nightmare dream. It was Tom Hanks's dream, and then Zemeckis like uh, he brought Zemeckis into being to create this movie <laughs> retroactively. <laughs> Yeah. They're like and binary stars revolving around each other. They're one unit. Time isn't linear, guys. Get that out of your head right now. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so there is this man that goes around as a conductor on a train who goes around kidnapping children. I, I dubbed him the abduction conductor. Amazing. <laughs> he takes kids from their beds. Uh, I mean, they get out of bed on their own accord, but, like, they are drawn to the train like flies to... He has some kind of unholy magic that draws them to him. And then he intimidates and threatens them into getting on the train, then psychologically tortures them the entire time with this idea that they have to have a ticket and if they don't have a fucking ticket they're gonna be thrown off while the train is moving there's this whole like demented psychological torture going on the whole time and then they're putting all these it's all child endangerment they're putting all these children in danger with these crazy tracks and just going over ice field it's insane And when they finally get to the North Pole, it's this Orwellian, depressing, dystopian factory town. Don't forget paramilitary. Right. Where all of the elves are these worker slaves that live where they work (laughs) and are constantly surveilled the entire time. And they, like, have to be cheerful. And... (laughs) They also have this whole surveillance system. That's the militaristic part Jamie was talking about. Of all the children of all the world. So it's like this crazy Christmas panopticon. But they also have literal military ranks. If you look at the credits for the movie, there's sergeants and lieutenants and 
I'm assuming foot soldiers and stormtroopers and Okay, so here we go. It's it's a the prison. Christmas Navy. The, no, the North Pole is a prison police state where all the other elves Santa, their their vengeful god, has gotten the elves to police themselves. Well, he's created a cult of personality around him where when Santa arrives at the end of the movie, his cult-like following of elves stand at attention and wait for him to arrive like fucking Hitler in the square giving a speech. Or the second coming of Christ. And, you know, for, you know, those who believe in that kind of thing. I don't want to assume things for The second coming of Santa. (laughs) But, you know, you get the idea. Except Santa comes back every year. (laughs) And... There beforehand, it's like this ritual thing where all the elves are in the square. First, they're worship worshiping the Yule tree, which is more pagan. That's kind of cool, but still creepy. I my my hair was standing on end during this whole part. I'm not kidding. I was really creeped out. And this movie broke Chelsea. It did. I swear. I don't understand how people let their kids watch this movie. They must turn it on, and then not watch it with them, or or just think it's oh it's cute but it's really terrible perhaps they're caught up in the spell that's being cast by tom hanks's charisma maybe yeah because but it's, somehow we it's were pretty able, powerful i'll give him that we were able to break through the veil and see reality behind the illusion that was cast so we're gonna get deeper into that let's finish this here real quick so after they're worshiping the tree there's like this ritual where everybody's all the elves are chanting and they're bringing out the reindeer and it's really creepy vibes like this is some midsummer shit going on yeah 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 you get the feeling like in another adaptation of this movie they would be bringing them out and sacrificing all of them that's the the vibe we had it was like yes it's like midsummer are like the original wicker man like bringing out these like bodies of reindeer or something that are going to be fed into a fire in honor of Santa. <laughs> Seriously. And then Santa comes out. He's standing in the doorway. His shadow is cast over all of the crowd. It is not an appealing or a fun or a lovable Santa image. It is a terrifying dictator. I know. And this whole time, the main character just called hero boy is tormented that he's a doubter and like how dare he ask questions yes never question authority never question why you're being abducted on a train i know oh you don't believe yeah i don't believe you because why should i trust you strange man even if you are tom hanks so (laughs) compelling argument it's so hard not to trust tom hanks so finally the main character gives in to groupthink and says i believe i believe and suddenly he can like hear the jingling bells and then santa comes up behind him and it's really imposing and scary and he's just looming over him and intimidating him and says what did you say yeah, what did you say? And he just says, uh, uh, I believe this is yours. And he's like, okay, that's what I thought, little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the actual line from the movie. No, but that's the, that's, the, he may as well have said that. Sure. I mean, I think that um, the main character, Hero Boy, is a hero because he survives this horrifying ordeal and makes it home to his family who loves and probably would miss him. 
I know there's all these scenes of child endangerment with the tracks and the train and just these insane physical feats of endurance and overcoming they ski down the, the train uh, while it's going over like a fucking roller coaster drop. Yeah. And like the kids are tightrope walking across tracks that just go down a ravine that has no bottom. It's 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 insane. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> it's it's just really creepy. Somehow the character makes it back home. He wakes up in his bed. Was it a dream? No, it was a nightmare. And also, Santa gave him a wish. Santa gives one kid a Christmas wish for whatever they want, and it'll be the first gift, right? And the boy's like, can I have that bell I gave back to you? And Santa's like, oh, yes, my boy. You surely can. It's an important (laughs) symbol of me and the spirit of Christmas. I was going to say, can I have the artifact of your worship that proves my devotion to you eternally, Santa? Basically. And then he, he lost it on his way home. He wakes up the next morning to find it under the tree with him. Like, he can never escape this nightmare. And he's basically haunted... By this cult that will never let him go. The movie Krampus is less terrifying than this film. I was saying as we were watching it, this is one of the creepiest Christmas or holiday films I've ever seen. I mean, not that Krampus is like especially creepy, but like it's... Like that's a (laughs) horror... That's scary. This is the creepiest. There's a difference. Sure. Yeah. Spoilers for the 1980s movie Screamers. But at the end of that one, there's the robotic killer bear that kind of turns its head to look at the camera that's on the guy's ship at the end. That's what this bell feels like. It's a, <laughs> it's a herald of doom. Yeah. Bad things to come. He's like, one day, all my friends couldn't hear the bell and even my sister, but I still hear its ringing. Yeah. I ding still believe. Dong. Ding dong. Always believe. Never forget. Santa is my god. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so there you go. That's your summary there. (laughs) Cool. Well, why don't we head into the Merry Delve? Dong the Mary Dell. Mary Dell. I thought you were gonna say the witch is dead, like Santa's the witch. Ding dong, Santa's dead. Santa (laughs) can never die. Santa is dead. Long live Santa. Yes. (laughs) Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of the Polar Express. My theory is that. After Christmas, right after, all the elves eat Santa's flesh, right? They all consume him to maintain their jolly productiveness, right? For the whole year. But they can't eat the bones like Thor's goats. And then Santa, over the course of the year, regrows. And then on Christmas Eve, he's fully formed. And that's why everyone parties when he comes outside. 
<laughs> that is the most shockingly terrifying implication for a film that I've ever heard. And it makes the most sense for this movie. It honestly would not surprise me at all. Maybe that's why the movie's CG to like kind of uh, elicit this feeling of otherworldliness where one could imagine a um eternal Christ-like cult leader Santa who uh who is reborn every year after being feasted upon by his elven cult legion. So he's kind of like a, a, a Santa Christ. His flesh is a drug that brainwashes <laughs> the elves. His blood is eggnog. Yeah, that's why they have to rush the kids out of there before uh, they actually finish the dance, the ritual dance they were doing at the end, because after that is when the feasting begins. Well, no, no, Santa was Santa left on his journey across the world. I guess that's to what they wanted presents. the kids to see. Well, no, no, I think that that that's what happens, right? Because obviously Santa delivers the presents. That's the true. kids we see him in the presents, but after he has expended himself using all of his magic on a night to. I guess travel across the actual entire world and deliver presents to all question mark the children of the world. Uh, you know, he comes back drained and ex and his magic expended, and that is when they must ritually devour him to begin the re regeneration process. Yeah. Yes. Absorb <laughs> his Christmas spirit into the elf population. Yeah. Now, I I cannot stress enough that the cinematic language they use for showing Santa is that of a dictator standing above his nation giving like a speech about like invading Poland. Yeah. <laughs> like that is just it is a legion of mirror image elves standing at attention in a courtyard. In a courtyard while this god figure appears to rally his troops before leaving on a, I guess, a holy quest. It is horrifying. I know. Yes. And I get that the North Pole is supposed to have a lot of factories and be very productive because they're making children's toys, but it is so dystopian. I know. It's like concrete everywhere. Platforms. Yeah conveyor belts it's like a factory inside it's because the traditional idea is like this toy maker's workshop like like a wooden structure kind of comforting this is nothing like that this is a great monument to the unstoppable power of industry and capital exactly that is this is a Workers' town. This is like wage slaves from Shadowrun. The elves live, breathe, eat, and sleep manufacturing. And also, when they walk by the apartment buildings, they're all so small. And they live in these huge mega, like mega structures for, el you know, elven sized mega structures, but they all have to live so tight together. Yeah. It's just like you couldn't have Christmas cheer there. If you can't have it at the North Pole, where are you supposed to have it? On the train? The scary train? But cheer is enforced. Everybody is completely on board. There is no dissent in the North Pole. In the North Pole. None that we can see. I mean, where is the underground resistance movement trying to break the elves free from this 
horrible enslavement that they're facing. I have a creepy thought. They've all been killed and eaten and thrown into the fires to fuel the machines that make the toys for children? If all of these... Okay, there's a couple possibilities here. But if all of these elves live, sleep, you know, sleep, eat, work here, they seem to have relationships with one another. There are male and female elves. They were dancing together. You know, they don't just have to be, you know... Very scandalously, by the way. Heteronormative or whatever, but, you know, they... They seem to have have relationships with one another. That's nice. Where are all the children? Where are all the little elf children? My God. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Christmas Eve. They're all working in the factory or, still, or, right? Are they are they like asexual and sterile, and they're just like never aging? Is is that why they have to eat Santa to make them immortal? <laughs> yes yes definitely. that no just to just to be clear the feasting of santa does not happen in the movie that is our <laughs> lightsabering but it's a fun conceit that i just want to say this conspiracy goes all the way to the top the top of the world the north pole <laughs> exactly also you bring up a good point and that also reminds me that all the workers at the North Pole are elves, of course. Classic. Mm -hmm. Typical Christmas, except for, you know, the reindeer and there's Santa. And Santa's a human. But is there he? is... A, you, you hope so. He doesn't seem like one, actually. No, but his skin doesn't look human. Nobody's skin in this movie looks human. Even compared to the other humans in the movie. There are at least three, I think, humans employed by Santa... And that's the train conductor and the two engineers that work on the train as well. And well, there's no explanation for it, right? And there isn't really an explanation for why the train is in service to take children up to the North Pole. Assumedly, it's to teach them, you know, Christmas spirit. Try to help keep the belief there. It's to indoctrinate them into the cult of Santa so that they spread it far and wide around the world. Yeah, because they picked up the main character, Hero Boy, because he was wavering in his belief. And the conductor told him, this is a critical year for you. We need to, like, re-up on your belief in our cult-like system. He, that's when he started to threaten him to get onto the train and intimidate him into getting on. Exactly. And that's the theme I want to get into. How scary the, the train is, right? We've only been talking about how scary the movie is, and that's because that's what there is to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. We only have the text, and the text is terrifying. So, I don't remember the exact quotes, but let me give you the gist of Tom Hanks's sales pitch, right? Like, <laughs> I hear you've been doubting, little boy. Yeah. <laughs> Time to get on the train. I really think it would be good for you to get on this train. And he is actually saying stuff like that. Yeah. That's not like just the intent. He's like, I really believe it's in your best interest to get on this train. And he's saying it like it's a threat. Right. Oh, yes. I, I hear you have a younger sister. It would be a shame if anything were to happen to her. Exactly. Jesus. Exactly. That's what we were saying during the film, because it feels like that. And I was joking that, like, if the camera would pan behind him and you'd see, like, a Christmas painted gun sticking out the back of his pants that he yeah. has, like, a hand resting on. Because 
It's like, I really think you should get on the train, boy. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't, he does not pose it like it's an option. Let me tell you. He's like, look, you're free to turn it down. Just like you're free to choose if you want to die. Right. Well, and he's looming (laughs) over him and leaning down over him as he's talking. But there's also the psychological conditioning because when the children say no, they begin, the train begins leaving, and then the children are forced to run after it as they begin to consider the consequences of not going on the train. And it's this, like, psychological torment uh, of these children who did not want to get on the train, have now been coerced into it, and then are forced to exert themselves and, like, show their fealty to the conductor? Yeah. yeah. Who is... You know, this horrifying kind of ever-present entity who leaves, but there's only two cars with children on them. Where is he going? I don't know. Yeah, there's so many carts. And some of them are carrying stuff like broken toys and coal, but there's only one with a few kids in it. (laughs) And he's like, you'd better have your ticket. Or else, like we were saying earlier, and the kids are like, oh, yeah, he's going to throw you off the back of the train and they won't slow down. Although that wasn't true. We did find out that that's not accurate. Yes. Yeah. And I also just remembered you're right, Jack. There's only there's basically three main train cars, the fuel cart and then the engine. But the train is very long. It's way longer than that. But when they go back through, those are the only three that they go through to get back to their seats yeah and it doesn't seem to cut away like you they're skipping anything either where the fuck are all those cooks that were making them hot chocolate and brought all that hot chocolate through and where's the kitchen it doesn't exist the food doesn't exist either because they created tables out of nothingness and then and drinks and the hot chocolate and everything and then made it disappear it's all an illusion that scene is what i was gonna talk about oh sorry there's a scene no that was a perfect transition that was such a wild scene where the conductor comes in and he's been nothing but scary to these kids and even though they don't actually toss you off the back the kids believed it was the sort of environment where they would do that true they believed it they had already been filled with the potential terror of the scenario that tells you that this Christmas train is not very jolly. If the kids are willing to believe, they'll fucking kill you if you don't have your ticket, all right? Yeah. And then there's this one scene where the conductor comes in and he starts singing a song, which is out of the blue. And it's not a friendly song exactly. Though what he's saying is like hot chocolate in infinite amounts whenever you want. Hot chocolate as hot as it can get, right? <laughs> It'll burn your soul. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then these waiters are coming in. They're tossing these tablecloths onto the air. And there's invisible tables. And they're dancing on them crazy. And like spinning the kids' chairs around. All terrifying. We were all remarking like, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. This is bad. This is bad (laughs) news. This is bad news. This is a get out red flag, right? Yeah. Most dance scenes like the genie from Aladdin, you know, that's fun. That's a lot of that's enjoyable. This is not. This is this intimidation. 
This is like this is like a chimpanzee grinning at you before it attacks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, because that's actually a grimace of aggression for chimps. Exactly. That's what this is. And the all the kids get these bowls of hot chocolate and one girl hides hers under her chair, but the whole song is about how they can have as much as they want whenever they want, and then they take it away before any kids can have a drink and leave. It's true. And because that girl hid hers for the kid that's in the very back of the train, who they almost left without, that's the only one that remains. <laughs> that someone can drink. Yeah. So they're withholding. They're intentionally withholding sustenance. To keep control over them. To right. You control their intake of food and drink. You control their access to facilities and, and all of that. There's another cult-like technique that they practice in this film, which is the fear that not having a ticket gets you in trouble. And then the reward that actually comes at the end, which is like a way to get you on their side. You create the scenario of like, oh, if I don't have my ticket, it's going to be bad. His whole tone of voice is terrifying it's like you don't have your ticket well we have something that we need to do with you and then he takes her to the train engine and lets her drive the fucking train i know it becomes this reward but at the end of a horrifying ordeal like she is literally i guess marched onto the top of the train in the snow on a moving train to the front of the, the yeah. carriage and then given a prize they yeah. didn't punish me, she says to the boy. They let me control the train now. I was rewarded for this. I know. It is torture and torment and conditioning. It's terrible. And let's talk about these two characters, right? The girl and boy that were the friends to the main character, Hero Boy. We never get the name of the girl, I don't think. But the name of... Hero the Girl. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, Hero Girl and the other boy who's in the basically the caboose by himself is named Billy, and he's the only one that has like a conventional name in the movie besides Santa. No, the other characters are hero boy, hero girl, know it all. Yeah, like they are. They are just these broad strokes archetypes. Archetypes, yeah. So hero girl is a person of color, and she's the only one that I remember being on the train. Right. Uh, I honestly, a lot of the the children are just kind of like a blur of like <laughs> hot chocolate montages and stuff. So. As far as I know, they're mostly white kids. Sure. And then the boy on the back of the train, Billy, is like the token poor kid. Right. He comes from the other side of the tracks. Yeah. There's this whole class struggle thing we want to get into about this. Oh, that sounds like a type of thing that I would like to talk about. Yeah, so we could segue into that uh, and, and use this as an intro to this discussion because he's the only one in the back. And you brought up something really important about that while, while we were watching the movie, Jamie. You're, you're goddamn right I did. Why is it that the middle class is represented by at least 10 children and the lower classes are one kid. It cre it perpetuates this illusion that there's only a few scattered poor people around. Everyone else is comfortable right here in the middle. Right. Which is, as we know, an illusion that's been created by the masters of industry, like Santa. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, who control the narrative about reality and everything. Well, he's the capitalist symbol of consumerism for the holiday. Sure. And that's what's basically being perpetuated in this movie. But so Billy, this one poor child. Now, is he just the only one there because Santa only deigns to give a handful of poor children the opportunity to come to the North Pole? Or does the movie try to create this narrative that there's only a few scattered unfortunates about? But, you know, as long as you're towing the line and maintaining the status quo, most of us end up being in the middle class, which is, of course, bullshit. I think the environment and the landscape that we see within the film can help us suss this out because when we see the main character's neighborhood, it's full of yes. middle-class suburban homes that are close together, not too tightly packed, but fairly close together, like a typical quiet street. You suburban. Know, the like myth of suburban neighborhoods. It's kind of perpetuating that. Then when they go to the quote-unquote other side of the tracks, this boy's home is isolated by itself, and then they're in the distance you can kind of see maybe one or two other buildings that are similar that they don't even stop at. We all know but... that poor people live in far spread out places <laughs> where there's no neighbors for miles. Yeah, they're not tightly <laughs> packed into these inhumane conditions at all. What are you talking about? Absolutely barbaric. <laughs> out there, wherever they are. <laughs> God. Yeah, and while they're on the train, they sing this song about Christmas, and they try to tug at your heartstrings and have the little boy Billy singing about how he's never had presents, and he he's kind of enraptured by this story of what Christmas can be. My and parents don't love me <laughs> because they can't afford presents for me. Yeah, and then... Um, Hero Girl comes up and sings with them, and, and it's nice that she's trying to show solidarity with him. Oh, I, I don't fault the children at all uh, in any of this. Yeah, yeah. They, they're trying to be nice and supportive of one another. But then she starts singing about how Christmas is, I mean, you know, time to get together with family, sure. For some people it is. Uh, and that's something some people look forward to. But she's also talking about, like, how it's the time where you get presents, and there's this whole thing... This whole time. I mean, it is a story about Santa, basically. And so it's all filled with this presence. And, and that's the idea of, like, perpetuating this idea that you need things. And it's perpetuating this consumerist ideal. Family is great, but presents are better. <laughs> and th this is something that the children that are watching this are going to be absorbing so i guess this is kind of an episode for the all the parents out there oh hey, would show this to their kids grandma is good but you'd better get her some jewelry <laughs> but yes i uh as you were saying <laughs> i guess this episode is for all those parents out there who are considering showing this movie to their kids we'll get to that in the ratings but consensus is probably don't <laughs> Guys, before we talk too much more about Tom Hanks' most horrifying role, why don't we head to the bounty board?
You awaken in your bed, so warm and toasty on Christmas morning, with the smell of hot cocoa wafting up from the kitchen, the scent of pine all around from the Christmas tree, lights flashing, and the sounds from below of family laughing and children singing. You stand and stretch your weary arms over your weary head, and go to your window and look down upon the snowy landscape beneath you. But you see that somebody has written in the snow. The words in front of you spell out, Bounties? You know, everybody, with this being the holiday time of year, and with giving being in everybody's hearts, we thought that this week we would suggest that instead of our usual bounties where we ask you to support us, that we would ask you to support charity. And in the spirit of giving, we are revisiting a charity we have donated to multiple times before on our Twitch streams, Child's Play. Child's Play? What's that? Well, Child's Play is a charity that gives toys and games to children's hospitals. And why do they do that, you might ask? Because kids in children's hospitals tend to heal better when they have these types of resources and they can play games. Uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of research about child's play and they talk about how children ask for less pain medications when they have games and stuff. They're not, you know, they don't have as many problems with loneliness and all that. I mean, if you're a kid, being stuck in a hospital really sucks. And child's play does so many good things for providing resources for these kids who, you know, might have to be in extended stays or for whatever reason they might be there, they make it easier. So we think this is a worthwhile charity to give to. We believe in it. But do your own research or if you have a charity that you also feel strongly about, then consider giving to them uh, this sometime this month if you're able. It, I'm sure it will be appreciated and, and you'll feel better too. Like I said, if you if you can. And happy holidays to you all. And now, back to the episode. So I think we just kind of did the broad strokes for class struggle. Do you want to go deeper into that now? I mean, I think that it's so enwrapped in everything, and we've kind of covered it through, like, our discussion of the imagery of the North Pole, the treatment of Billy, and this idea that the poor are just this kind of invisible micro-class when, honestly, we are by far the vast majority. Oh, and in the imagery of the movie, all of the other kids are in this warm, inviting train car with cushy seats and warm lighting and the boy billy doesn't come up to sit with them and he's just sitting in the back train car in this poorly lit dingy car with very sparse seats and it's dark it's actually a dark car when the other car is well lit yeah and he's just sitting in there by himself yes uh, I think I have two examples that kind of summarize how I figure the Christmas spirit could also be embodied. First, uh, I think if you want to save time and give your kids kind of the gist of how this movie feels, while they're asleep on Christmas Eve, kick their door in screaming as loud as possible. 
just screeching. And I think that will deliver the same <laughs> Christmas feeling as this. But, but you yeah. got to go chugga, 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 choo, choo when you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, say it just loud enough to rouse them. Jamie, everybody knows there's four chuggas before choo-choo. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yes. You want to say so it sorry. just loud enough to rouse them from their slumber, but not loud enough to scare them, and then you kick through their door. <laughs> you just make the screeching. sound. You just kind of like start increasing the sound. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. And you're building up this intensity as you're getting closer to their door. And as they start yelling when they're waking up, you just start yelling. And then you're all screaming. Yeah, exactly. And that's the feeling of watching this film. Exactly. It feels about as merry as if you put, like, a Christmas tree in the background of when Grendel is attacking the Mead Hall in Beowulf. <laughs> Like, there you go. That's I this mean, movie. That kind of works. A lot of our concepts of Christmas come from the Scandinavian Yule, so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Christmas Grendel. That's a good, good rather, name for this movie. I would feel way more comfortable watching Christmas Grendel <laughs> or like the Beowulf Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we got to make that. Now, that's oh, something yeah. we have that's to do. That's a good one. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in. Um, I want to talk about the anti-intellectualism that takes place in this movie. Because <laughs> the character Know-It-All is a, a classical like nerd kid, right? Like the smart kid. He, he knows a lot of facts. He's read a lot of books. But people keep being like, oh, no, you're wrong. You don't know what's going on. And then that gets reinforced by the adults in the movie. This idea that... Oh, you know information, but that's not actually useful or relevant to anything. And you really don't know as much as you think you do, you little shit. That I is know. the tone of the movie. And they're like, you need to learn humility. You shouldn't be talking out of turn so much and sharing facts with people. Stay in your lane and don't act too smart or people won't want to be around you. That's the messaging that they're giving with everything they're saying to him. That's what I got out of it. Just too. like the messaging is, if you're poor, probably just like slide into the background and don't disturb anybody and or don't engage with your peers. Yeah, exactly. Like don't be a nuisance. If you're poor, just zip up and and just shut up and go off to work and and don't <laughs> be it in anyone's way. So, yeah, when Santa meets that kid, yeah, he is just like, "Oh, you're a very smart boy, but maybe you should use some humility." In my mind, I so substitute with Santa just going up to that kid and being like, now you, and pulling off one of his mittens and just a bloody skeletal hand is underneath. He just puts it right on the kid's face and leaves a blood smear there, puts his hand back in the glove and moves on to the next kid oh, God. without saying anything. You have been marked by the saint. <laughs> Like, that's exactly, like, this movie, if you made it really cursed, would still have the same impact. Yeah. It is cursed. It is. Yeah. So I want to ask you guys a question about the language of filmmaking and then, like, kind of how the content of this movie might reinforce different themes or things like that. Okay, I'm going to have two of these. First off, what is the significance of having Tom Hanks be both or all, all of the above, 
the narrator as an adult. So hero boy as an adult, the conductor, the his own father, Santa Claus, and who the character we haven't talked about, the hobo drifter, who's another representative of the lower class, but actually this weird nebulous, like removed poor character who's like a ghost who's a ghost and also a god and i think santa's avatar who can disappear into a puff of snow snow, yeah who dispenses wisdom to the hero boy about being independent but also staying in your lane and maintaining the status quo but also being free it's very confusing messaging but so all of these characters are Tom Hanks. You said he's Santa too, right? He's also Santa. Yeah. So does that mean that this is a fever dream that the child is having after drinking too much hot chocolate? That's how I explained it in the beginning. <laughs> or is there another deeper significance to Tom Hanks being almost everybody in this fucking movie? That he's an unreliable narrator? Because it starts out with his voice narrating what happened to him as a child. Yeah, you're totally right. No, it was just, I thought Forrest Gump was the voice of Santa. But yeah, 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 I, I guess it was Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it could just be that it's possible that he's an unreliable narrator or that he's telling a story to his kids. But if it's, this is a story he's telling to his kids, I think that somebody needs to call CPS. Seriously. Okay, I just want to share a few quotes from The Hobo that I think are very illuminating for this movie. I ride for free. I own this train. I am the king of the train. Yeah. This is the hobo who both rides underneath the train we see during the weird interlude where we just see the ticket flying Flying. miles and miles and being like picked up by animals and then brought back to the train. We see the hobo underneath the train. Then later on, when hero boy goes to the top of the train, he meets him on the top. And that's when he dispenses all these weird bits of wisdom that are like where this character is in this weird role outside of society. Cause he's not poor, like a poor person living in a in a house like scraping by this is a traditional image of like the hobo drifter on a train right like who does who is not bound by society's concepts of wealth because they are completely outside of that system that is the the language of the film and this is an archetype from like the 20s or 30s yeah or something like that and it, it, why is it in a film when was this 2004. Why is this in a film from 2004? Because, you know, kids really love 1910s and 1920s cinema um, archetypes. I know. I mean, he was one of the more interesting and fun characters. He was, absolutely. But also, the implications of the character are haunting. Yes. It definitely, he, he seemed like he was sinister as well. Like he was a kid who maybe died on the train or something like that. His or, soul is bound to the train. Yeah, yeah, or like one of Santa's like sub-personalities manifesting on the train. Like an but, avatar he can send out or something. That is kind of the impression I got. He uh, kind of roasts Santa a little bit, though. Does he? He's mocking him, at least, doing the whole like ho, ho, ho Oh, that's thing. right. 
Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, yeah. is that mocking or is that his like attempted impression to give fealty to the Lord of the Pole? <laughs> yes, it's true. Maybe pole. all the Tom Hanks characters, except for maybe the dad, are just like like different avatars of the same divine being of Christmas. The hobo, the conductor, and Santa. Could be. They're all somehow intimidating and imposing and control the entire situation. Yeah. They lead through fear and then make you appreciate them by showing affection and then quickly withholding it. The main character, Hero Boy, and all the other children are at all of their mercy. Absolutely. So the other question I want to ask you guys to really dig deep down into the Oh, before, guts of this film. Wait, before Chelsea's got to look like this has to be asked. Yeah, yeah. Before <laughs> we get into your next question, though, I just had an idea. We forgot to mention when they're putting all these children in danger, and when Hero Boy comes back into the main car after they've slid in this insane oh my god manner that I don't even understand where the art direction was coming from over this ice. A lake of ice. The train is jackknifing over a frozen pond. And somehow they're still able to control it from the engine. It's very confusing. Um, He goes back into the car with the other children. And the no, quote unquote, know-it-all kid says, Oh, we didn't believe we were in danger at all. They, they had our safety in mind. Nothing was right. bad was going to happen to us. We know as viewers that they were like inches away from death, but the conductor told them they were safe the whole time. And so they just trusted him. Exactly. Trust authority. That is the main takeaway of this movie. Trust authority. Worship your leaders. Never ask questions. It's okay to go with strangers and worship capitalism above all else. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that says it right there. But I have one more question for oh, yeah. you guys about cinematic language and the choices they made in this movie. Okay. What do the tickets represent? Oh, boy. It's something that is constantly lost, but finds its way back to you. So you're never really without it. It's like it tied is, to your soul. It or is something. the most important thing and also meaningless because if you lose it, you think you're going to be in trouble. But the reality is you actually get to drive the fucking train, which is, I mean, honestly, I think we all know the coolest thing that can possibly ever happen to you is being able to drive a train. I think as a symbol, the ticket is used for many things in the movie. And so we can have a lot of ideas about it. Sure, so, it might not be just one thing. Yeah, I think one of the things is that it's a symbol for a child's belief in the spirit of Christmas. Okay, that's that's a good one. Because it's always ephemeral. Yeah, you, you believe, and also you might have that nagging question in the back of if your mind. If you have, if you trust, it's there. It's going to be there. When a hero boy first gets on the train and he tells the conductor, "I don't have a ticket," the conductor says, "Just look in your pocket," and he pulls his hand in his pocket, and like there's the tiniest bit of trust, maybe that it might be there, and he pulls it out. And it's there. And like he has this thin layer or veneer of still believing in Christmas. And so that's what is able to make sure that he has the ticket. And it seems like 
the initial ability to conjure a ticket while you're on the train is at least the smallest bit of belief in, like, Santa or the spirit of Christmas or something. There is this element of shame that the narrator seems to have in not believing in Santa. He thinks that there is something aberrant about him because he no longer believes. And that's something that... I it mean, is like a guilt that weighs down this 10-year-old boy? Yeah, that's part of the psychological torture I was talking about. But, yeah, that makes me think how this can be a metaphor for people who might feel that way when they're coming out of a any type of group, organization, can be organized religion or some other kind of organization of people where you thought that something was wrong with you because you didn't go along with the group think of the rest of the group and you had other ideas and maybe you internalize that because everything around you is telling you that it's this is the truth so if that's true there must be something wrong with you if you don't believe and and that that's an easy trap to fall into until you're shown or see evidence to the contrary and then you might be able to break out of the cycle. I'm speaking from personal experience, if you couldn't tell. Um, we don't have to go too deep into that, but I'm just saying, like, there. I think there are a lot of people that might identify with this part of the narrative, with this metaphor. And I think this movie might be doing those people a disservice. Yeah, I don't think maybe that's intentional, but in our reading of it, that you could see that there. Sure. Uh, what was your question again? I think I deviated a bit. <laughs> no, no, that was. I'm so glad that you did. That was amazing. I was asking what the tickets represent. In oh the yeah, movie. <laughs> Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's the. Uh, I think it's their soul. Their oh, soul. interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's not just their uh, Christmas spirit. I think because well, he punches letters into their tickets using a hole punch right oh excellent point which yes. they don't understand but at the end of the film he punches an entire word into each of their tickets which is the most prevalent characteristic that he sees in each of the kids or what they need yes exactly the heroic girl he punches leadership onto her card because she's been the leader throughout the film at least of the children I forget what he punches into one of the other kids' tickets. Isn't it humble or something for the, the know-it-all kid? It's like, be humble, you know, shut up, know your role. Yeah, it's something Die. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suffer. <laughs> then he just fades away. And in the main character's ticket... Says believe, because yeah. he's the most faithful. He was the least faithful, and now he's the most faithful. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that yeah. the tickets to me represent more, like, maybe could represent faith. How it's it's there, and it can be taken away so, you know, for some so easily. For some, losing it would be the most horrible thing that you could imagine, to not have that faith. Yeah. It is both a source of love and joy and also something that you must constantly be vigilant about maintaining you know i'm not saying that that is how i feel about faith i'm saying that is how it is often portrayed or how people might experience it 
The tickets are also associated with a belief in magic in general in the movie, and that in turn is associated with maintaining a childlike innocence about your view about the world. And maintaining this idea that, you know, you can trust authority figures and that if everything is like comfy, cozy in your house and in your neighborhood, then everything's okay. Right. I just looked in my notes and I saw that the know-it-all kids ticket he punches learn into it. But it is this way of him saying... You think you know so much because you know your facts and figures, but it's time for you to learn what's really going on here. Right. Which is a terrifying message to send to a child. Yeah. This movie is not good for children. No. (laughs) Well, I think we can probably bypass evil, stupid, or misunderstood because we know that Santa and all the other adults in this movie are pure evil. Well, I was going to say that they all are representations of or apologists for capitalism and the way this system creates these this dichotomy this vast difference between the classes the socioeconomic classes and how it creates this class of wage slave workers uh but it's okay because they're busy working in the factory making things for you to consume. Yeah, and once a year you get a little break. Yeah. For a, for a day. To eat your boss. To eat your boss, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well so, said. So yeah, capitalism is the, is the antagonist and is evil. And now I think we can probably head to the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. What kind of rating system are we going with for this film? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked, Chelsea. This week, we'll, I'm going to ask you all, you all, I'm going to ask all of you, all two of you, to share your epic moment or feature and then give it a rating from 1 to 10 train cars. Okay. We're forging train cars here today. What if we give it half a train car? Then I feel bad for the passengers on that half of a train car. Oh, God. Jack, how about your epic moment of feature and then your rating from 1 to 10 train cars? Well, this spiteful film was one hell of a ride. (laughs) This is like our personal torture for this movie, trying to come up with this. It's true. Uh, You know, Mary... Christmas feels are supposed to be a warm, nice, positive sensation. Throughout the duration of me watching and thinking of this film, there's been a cold ball of necrotic, draining energy in me. Uh, That being said, I thought it was pretty epic when they were drifting the train on the ice. Especially because on YouTube, look up the video Drift Express. And... uh, You'll see that exact scene with racing music put over it, and it's oh, fantastic. God. Oh, boy. So, yeah, just the insane drifting and them trying to slide a train while not falling apart or flipping is, uh, that was really something. That was, <laughs> that was there. That, yeah. was, that was there. 
that was a thing that happened in this film. It was kind of unknowable how it was happening. <laughs> yes, yes. Probably for the better. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, taking in mind everything that this movie has to offer, I'm gonna give it a, a, a one train car out of ten. Oh, man. <laughs> this movie is a hurtful, spiteful thing. It should be R-rated. And it yeah. should... <laughs> Extra. It should have it should have a trigger warning at the beginning. Not fit for human consumption. I said yes. X-rated. I was kidding, but I just remembered that this had like a PG some odd rating for sexual content. <laughs> I think you might have found your epic moment, Chelsea. <laughs> those elves fuck. Yeah, maybe it was that. I don't know. It's did you see the scandalous dancing at the end of the movie with the elves? <laughs> yes. Well, maybe uh, was, I saw Ankle. Maybe it was because of the Steven Tyler singer elf. <laughs> maybe it was. Anyway. Also, I mean, isn't the train going into the tunnel the ultimate, like, sexual <laughs> metaphor in film language? I guess so. They really should have edited it in just, like, a moan as <laughs> that would have given the movie an extra train car I'll tell you that for free a whole train car a whole train car Not half. if the tunnel fucking moaned when the train <laughs> went in yeah it would get an extra train car didn't the tunnel have like am I did, did I pass into like a weird like fever dream coma or was the tunnel like a giant scary mouth it was with all these t icicle teeth why was this movie so terrifying so if that was a sexual metaphor then that was like va vagina dentata you see, and that's that's interesting. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. Oh, what so you finished? You? Yeah. What? Yeah, no, I'm done. One train car out of ten. You hurt me with this yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> Not you guys, but every that's just cast out to the people who made this. You hurt me. Ro yeah. Robert Zemeckis is a monster. <laughs> I think that's a new low rating. I'd love to work with you at some point, but not with this. Don't do this to oh, me. Oh, come on. Don't lie. We would all be happy to appear in the Polar Express, too. Yes, I would. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Chelsea, do you want to share your epic moment or feature and then your rating from 1 to 10 train cars? I would. And I like going second for these real... Oh, you'll be first next week, Shit then. storms. <laughs> Of films, um, because it gives me time to think. So, you I can't actually, think about this movie, you just have to react. Yeah, <laughs> I actually think I have a good one, and we didn't talk about this enough in the Delph. So, uh, my epic feature is Hero Girl, she's the best part of this movie. Agreed, yes, she's thoughtful, considerate, friendly supportive, compassionate, uplifting, brave, clever, intelligent. If there is one good message in this entire movie, it is follow people like Hero Girl's example. Yeah. Of how to be. She's the real hero of the film. Hero Boy is kind of a dud bumbling around. It's not really his fault. Like, he, he's just trying to figure out what's going on. He's just been abducted like all the other kids. <laughs> That's fair. Um, 
But she... These children are under duress. Only a true hero could have the wherewithal to keep a cool head. And that's Hero Girl. Yeah. And she is singled out by uh, the conductor as a leader. And she she truly is. Uh, it's too bad that it has to be in these circumstances. Now I don't know how I feel about it. I know. If he's choosing her, that really scares me. She really is the best part of this film, though. She's she's better at protecting all the other kids and providing for them than any of the adults, so-called adults of the film. And she is one of the examples of, like, what you should be living up to for sure. So that is one of the few good parts and messages of this film. And I feel like we didn't really talk about her enough in the dub. There was a lot of eldritch horror that we had to deal with. Yeah, I think we were just trying to process it. She's we... too pure to be associated with this film. <laughs> yeah. Out of respect, every other scene should be taken out. Just ones with her in it. She's the true heroine of the film. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I thought heroin was the true heroine of this film. Because <laughs> that's clearly what they were on when they made it. That's how they sedate the elven rebellions. I would like to see a movie like this from her perspective. And I just found out about one. Just got to put a shout out. Uh, maybe we'll watch it one of the weeks this month. Jingle Jangle. It's a holiday film from the perspective of people of color. And I really want to see it. Mm, that it's sounds a, nice. Yeah, it's an unusual film and one that we should have had a long time ago. And I'm happy that it's being made now, at least. And I'm really excited to see it. It's like a... A steampunk Christmas film, fantasy film. Cool. It might have magic in it. So So cool. It has the magic of Christmas, at least. Yeah. Yes. So that's like the spiritual successor to her story, I feel like. Hero girl story. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll give this movie... I'll I'll go for two train cars for Hero Girl out of ten. For this nice. movie. She really she, saved the movie. Yeah, she it goes from a zero to a two. It's all for her though. Nice. Yeah. Imagine there being no train. <laughs> there was almost no train. Yeah. <laughs> there was no train. And one could question if there ever was. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature in rating? I really yes. wish you hadn't asked. <laughs> Tell us, Jamie. So my epic moment is the one where I'm going to lay the groundwork, but it's going to sound wrong. It's the scene where the elves are spying on the children of the world, but not because of that, but because the elves are coded Jewish. Right. Which I thought was kind of genius. Like one of them asks if somebody is Meshuggah and and like, they've got like this kind of, I mean, it's, it's sticky. But, like, I mean, I'm assuming they were Jewish actors doing this New York Jewish accent that I loved. It was fantastic. I was like, wow, that really gives the elves, like, a little bit of, like, interesting backstory that I want to know more about where these, like, these few elves who are not, did not seem to be part of the masses of those worshipping Santa. They were just kind of the ones like, ah, you know, we got to just do what we got to do we're we're making you know christmas happen or whatever but we're just gonna like kind of go like make appearances you know i was like oh that's cool i like that 
I like your feature, but it has horrible implications for the way that we've framed the North Pole as a labor camp. Is that my fault, or is that Robert Zemeckis's fault? That, yeah. No, it's not your fault. Yeah. No. That's it's, in the movie. This movie is hurtful. Yeah. This movie does bad things. It does. This movie is an evil-aligned film. It totally is. Chaotic evil. I am I am shaken to my core. Yeah. I I need a non-Euclidean number to give this movie in in train cars because like I said it is an eldritch horror the likes of which no horror movie I've seen in years has had on me. It was more I, 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 the the effects of which no horror movie I've watched in years has had this soul-shattering effect on me, and I've watched Hereditary, The Lighthouse, Midsommar, Thirst. Like, none of those movies have broken me in the way that the fucking Polar Express did. Yeah, those movies all had these scary moments for me, but none of them really, like, disturbed me to my core like this one did, especially considering that I knew that children... Watch. This movie shocked me more than any I've seen in years, and I watched The Triumph of the Wills in a class a while ago. Oh my god. Fuck. It was like the Christmas version of that, though. It was! It was like a Lenny fucking Riefenstahl movie, but for Santa. Oh god. Why this movie? Why does this exist? Who thought this was a good idea? I don't like to be mean to movies, but this yeah, movie was cruel to us as viewers and as human beings. I feel like this should be in the thumbnail of like a YouTube prank video that's like showing my kids Polar Express prank gone wrong. <laughs> oh God. I am horrified at the implications of this movie and I hope that our listeners understand the depths of suffering that we went through to reveal, review this film for them. Yeah. Please don't show it to your children. I'm sorry you've heard the secondhand knowledge. <laughs> Sleep and do, try to forget. Yeah. Or if you do show it to your kids, please explain to them all of the problems with it. <laughs> yeah, kids. In a way they'll understand. Kids love that. <laughs> Daddy, why are you crying? <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this. Don't worship Santa, children. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I, I don't know what to say. This movie broke me. So what are you going to rate it? You still haven't given it a number. <laughs> yeah, what's your number? Fucking zero. Fuck this movie. Yeah. Oh, boy, zero. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I don't. I, <laughs> I think it would be irresponsible of me to give this movie a rating. That's fair. <laughs> I guess one train car because the absence of, like, <laughs> because. I, no, uh, it can be Schrodinger's train. Don't worry about it. Is there a train or is there not a train? You don't know if the number is zero. Yeah, I don't know. Don't watch this movie. I mean, you watch it like we did, but don't watch it for any kind of joy or human comfort or lessons or morals or story or narrative. Like, just watch it to fucking riff it like we did and then ignore, like, 
excise it from your memory. Yeah. I have never felt this guilty for subjecting anybody to a film. <laughs> and once Chelsea and I started watching that French movie Innocence and turned oh, it off God. after like less than a minute. Yeah. I, I want to write like a short story about a Viking who watches this movie because a time traveler showed it to him and he just walks out naked into a blizzard and just disappears into the snow. <laughs> Just lays down in the snow and lets himself be buried. I really want to say, like, I don't take any pleasure in being mean to this movie. I genuinely like so many of the movies we watch, even the ones that I don't give a good rating to. Like, I respect them as art, and I just don't feel that with this movie at all. Like, this, no. is not, this is not me. Like, obviously, I'm using some hyperbole to, like, you know... To talk about this, but I genuinely, genuinely hurt for there, this film existing. There are so many parts of this film that feel malicious and yes, I don't, cynical, and I don't know if it's intentional or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like in terms of art, yes, it is really interesting art. You did a great job of making a unique animation and telling a whimsical Christmas story. It physically hurts me. I feel <laughs> literal bodily pain. Yeah, I Ever do too. since we started through now, talking about it is like living through a traumatic experience. I know. So, I hate- <laughs> so many reviews just focused on the like bad CGI. Like Honestly, the CGI was fine. We couldn't even talk about that during this entire review because the content is so vile. And disturbing. (laughs) Vile, malicious, and disturbing are perfect adjectives (laughs) for this film. Indoctrinating. I know. Dangerous. Like, was this movie a really just poorly executed satire or did they come at it going like, we're going to make a movie that is just haunting on the surface because every act that takes place in the film is sinister? Or did they just not know what they were doing? It's like you said, Krampus wouldn't even touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. The Seriously. demon of Christmas would be too scared to approach. He's like, he, nah. He'd be like, no, I don't know, man. That movie, I don't really like the implications of the world that they established in that film. <laughs> they put me in the witness protection program to I stay just away rattle, from Santa. <laughs> I just rattle my chains and put bad children into my sack, but even I won't go near the Polar Express. <laughs> the train to hell. That ain't right. That ain't right. (laughs) I wanted nothing more than for Sabin to appear and suplex this train straight to hell. (laughs) I wish. Shout out to my favorite Final Fantasy character of all time, Sabin. I wish when the boy, when the hero boy asked Santa for the bell, 
Santa had just become so overjoyed and started going, oh, oh, and just started writhing and bubbling and just expanding with like Christmas tendrils like a, and like consume the, the fucking, earth. Like oh one God. of the gods from Princess Mononoke. Yeah. yeah just exactly. like the maggots just ev- exploding out from Santa's face. And the elves just start going, yay, and sprint at him and just start crawling inside of Santa's writhing body. And just start absorbing as he just grows in mass. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and the bells are just ringing and the reindeer are just swirling around him. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, guys, I'm emotionally exhausted. I think we need to call it here. Yeah. Thank it's you. time Thank to you. play this movie to rest. Yeah, yeah, if you didn't call it, I think we would be trapped forever. We need mm-hmm. to bury it. It should be dead and gone. Thank you so much for tuning in while we suffered with you through the Polar Express. We truly appreciate all of your support and all of you who listen and join us every week. We would love to hear from you. So if you have thoughts about anything, sure, the Polar Express, but also like maybe fun films, hit us up on social media at Swords and Satire. And use the hashtag Swords and Satire, and we'll keep track of it and respond. And if you're especially fond of our podcast, feel free to support us on Patreon. It unlocks a lot of fun bonus episodes and features for the show that give you even more Swords and Satire pleasures. (laughs) What types of pleasures are those? (laughs) It's nothing compared to that train and tunnel, you know what I'm saying? Oh, boy. Well then, until next week, Hail Krampus! Santa is a vengeful god. Ho, ho, oh no.